0: Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at www.rachelgrantcoaching.com. In this two-part series, I'm going to first start by telling you how you can understand the patterns of thought that keep us from living authentic and powerful lives. And next time, I'll be sharing with you some tools for getting into clear communication with others.
2: I'm really excited to have you here today, and we're going to be um, exploring how we can more fully um, live authentic lives by challenging patterns of thought and behavior that we've created as a result of past experiences. Then we're also going to spend some time um, practicing some communication skills and noticing how communication plays such a really powerful role in the expression of our authentic selves and communication with others. So I'm very excited to share with you some of these tried and true techniques Um, that are going to really support you in living a more powerful um, life and communicating more powerfully. So, yeah, um, where we're going to start is thinking about um, the communication that we um, have that goes on internally. Um, Ultimately, our goal is to be able to interact with others powerfully, to communicate our needs and our desires to those who we interact with on a day-to-day basis whether they be the most intimate relationship, a partner or a lover, or somebody who you just cross paths with, um, you know, at work, you know, a co-worker or a boss. So, But before we do that, we really want to take a look at what's going on in the conversation we have with ourselves. Um, we have a very particular way of interacting with our experiences. We're actually wired to assign meaning and interpretation to every experience that we have. The mind is set up, the brain is set up this way. So whether it's in response to something that someone does or someone says, we really have a craving to explain why things have gone the way they have. And, you know, we need that. We need to be able to navigate the world by interpreting what sorts of things generally happen and generally mean, right? When somebody you know, says a particular thing, if our experience has often been that that represents or that means a certain outcome, that's helpful. We want to build upon that. The problem is that most of the time our initial interpretations, our initial meaning really have much more to do with our own history, our own baggage, um, our fears and our false beliefs than what is actually going on. And so we're kind of interacting, we're in the same room with people, but we're very much in our own heads, having a conversation with ourselves about what they're doing, what they're saying, and what it all means, without actually being in communication with them. And now, the tricky thing is, on a neurological level, the, the brain really likes to reinforce pathways that are already wired and resist creating new ones. So it's very quick to go to the meaning that's already been re- wired and um, reinforced many times. So as you have been, you know, growing up and having experiences and being out in the world, you've come to believe and come to think very particular things about relationships, about other people, about the world in general. And sometimes those things are very, very helpful and useful to you as you navigate your way. A lot of the times they're not. And so what happens is, you know, we get into a situation, say that boyfriend or that girlfriend Um, doesn't show up on time for the date, right? and we immediately go into um, the interpretation that suits us the best, the one that we've just really had in our back pocket all along, and we go to it right away. It doesn't even take any thinking or any noticing before we're upset and thinking that they don't appreciate us, they don't respect our time, or you can't count on people. And there we are, having the conversation, and the person walks in the door, and this is the conversation that's going on in your own head, and so, of course, the way that you respond to the person is going to be a little bit abrupt or harsh or negative. So, the first thing, the first step that we need to take in order to live more authentic and powerful lives is to check what I call the meaning-making machine. Now I didn't coin that phrase. It's actually out there. It's it's a widespread idea, but it really makes sense. We kind of have this part of us that's just always turned on. The motor is always running, looking for meanings, making meanings, interpreting, or I sometimes call them, you know, creating our stories. All right. And so, once we notice that that is what's happening, we really have to accept that we're actually at choice about how we interpret situations than we may have initially believed. And that can be sometimes the most difficult step because it means taking responsibility for how you're showing up in the world, for how you're you're responding when things are happening to you rather than just kind of sitting back and saying, well, that's just the way it goes, that's just the way it is, I don't have any choice here. All right. So how do you begin challenging this meaning-making machine in order to create room for authentic connection with, your, with others and, um, and yourself, right? By tuning in to what's really going on. So there are basically four steps, and so I just wanna go through those um, kind of quickly, and then we're gonna practice some. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to practice with each other And Abigail, I'll probably bring her in to just kind of demo it a little bit. But the first step is to identify the what happened of the situation. It's like the bare bone facts. Strip away all emotion, strip away all interpretation, and just get down to what happened. Okay, so in an example of the date not showing up on time, the what happened is... The person didn't show up on time. The person is late, right? My date is late. And that's really all that happens, okay? Everything that comes after that is interpretation, okay? So that's the next step, is to figure out, well, what are you making it mean? What is your interpretation that's trying to explain why this thing has happened or why the person said what they said? And really, most of the time, we are going to go to reinforcing ideas that we have about ourselves or about others. And, you know, it becomes kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have an interpretation like, I'm not worth anyone's time, then you're just going to kind of see that out in the world. You're going to experience that regardless of what the person is doing. You know, the guy could show up or the girl could show up with a bunch of flowers and the reason why he was late was because he decided uh, spontaneously to stop and buy some flowers for you, but all you're going to be able to see in that situation is I'm not worth your time. Okay, so you have to tune in to what's going on inside. What is the story? And oftentimes just kind of getting quiet for a minute, you'll notice. It'll kind of just pop up. So once you've noticed that, once you've seen, all right, I'm interpreting this situation to mean that I'm not worth anyone's time, the next step is to actually challenge your interpretation, to not just say, well, okay, I guess that's it, set it up, bottom line, we're done. It's to get into the practice of challenging the initial false belief. And when you do that, you are actually weakening the neuronal connection rather than reinforcing them so your mind on a very neurological level has lit up the neuronal pathway that holds the memory or that holds the idea i'm not worth anyone's time and when you pause and say hold on i'm going to challenge this i'm going to take another look that neuronal pathway is weakening and once you start to notice, okay, well, maybe there was a lot of traffic or maybe he was stopping to get me some flowers or maybe I have the time wrong and I'm actually way too early, um, you can take it to the absurd. You know, maybe there was a big tornado in the middle of Manhattan and all of a sudden and he had to work around it. But what you start to notice when you look for alternative explanations is that your first thought isn't necessarily the truth. It could be. There's always that option that it could still be true, but by challenging and looking for alternatives, you are breaking the pattern of, of repeating the same meaning over and over and over again. And the next time you're in a situation where somebody shows up late, your wiring, it may light up, it may just go, boom, right there, I'm not worth anyone's time. But now you have a secondary wiring that says, oh, wait a minute, I remember this. The last time that happened, that's what I thought, but it turned out to be he was buying me flowers. So you're starting to do the work of challenging the mind and challenging the stories and the meanings that have been running you, very much so without your awareness, okay? Now, once you do that, you actually... Can I jump in
3: a little bit there just to, to, to... Say something, Rachel. Yeah, I sure. think it's so important what you're you're underlining here. This this um, this thing that we all do. We all have beliefs about ourselves, and because of experiences that we've had as as young people, as children, and perhaps even traumatic experiences, we have beliefs often that are very limiting. And as you say, these get Stuck, shall we say, in, in our programming. I mean, they're in the neurons. And so we keep falling into them unless we bring consciousness and awareness to what is the interpretation that we are bringing to any situation. Anything that happens, what is the, the belief that jumps up that we are not able to see unless we bring our awareness and our desire to look. And this this one that you've mentioned, which is I'm not, you know, I'm not worth anybody's time, is is, you know, it's pretty widespread for a lot of people. I mean it may not show up exactly in those words, but it's that that belittling belief that we're not good enough in some way. And unless we challenge it, which is what Rachel is suggesting here, the biological programming just repeats itself over and over and over and over again. And it's interesting that if we do, as she's suggesting, you know, as you're suggesting, Rachel, to challenge it, we, we start to create new pathways within the brain, and I think that's just so exciting.
2: Absolutely, yeah, that is, to me, one of the, thank you for that, Abigail, that's, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely on point. Um, you know, this work um, for me really became exciting when I realized it's not just about your emotions. It's just not about your thought life. It really is on a biological level doing some different work. And what that, what that why that matters so much and became so intriguing and amazing to me is that in some ways I thought, all right, well, thought, it's my fault, right, which is one of mine, that I walked around with for a long time, is kind of just this thing that's in my brain and it's just been wired there, then it loses some of its power. It really lost a lot of its power to me when I began to recognize that the repetitiveness of I'm not worthy, it's my fault, was because this wiring was just kind of doing its thing. It wasn't good, bad, or wrong. It's just doing what it was wired to do, <laughs> right?
3: Exactly, and that I exactly. Yeah.
2: Actually, had the choice to say, all right, mm-hmm. well, I can keep this wiring. I mean, I, I could do that. That's definitely one of the options. Or I can start figuring out what needs to be done in order to challenge that. And I'll say one of the, the greatest ways I've also found, aside from these three steps, is the fourth step, which is. Once you've identified one of your stories or one of the ways that you tend to interpret situations by actually getting into conversation with somebody else, particularly if they're the person that you've kind of been running the story on, um, it creates a, a support network. And you know, you need to be careful about who you choose, right, to give your stories to. I kind of, you know, they're kind of like pearls. They they are personal, they are meaningful to you. And and point in fact, I'll just say this as a quick aside, many of our meanings were created in moments where we needed them to survive. They came up as a way to explain a situation that was very painful or that was so overwhelming or so confusing that we just had to hold on to something. Um, Oftentimes when I'm working with uh, people around abuse, that it's my fault you know, story really comes up because to not take the blame would be, would mean to recognize that your, you know, parent or a loved one is capable of doing something terrible and mean and bad to you. And that thought at a young age is much more difficult to consolidate than simply blaming yourself.
3: Exactly, because that as we mentioned last week, just to kind of recap for people, is what the survival personality is there to do. You have to survive. And surviving doesn't just mean physical survival, it means a psychological survival. How to make sense, which is what Rachel's talking about here, making sense of madness.
2: Right, absolutely.
3: So, you
2: know, in some ways, you know, our our stories, our interpretations are like good friends. You know, we've had them for a long time. They have served us well at certain points in life. But there does come a time when you are now living out those stories in a present-day experience where they're no longer useful. They're actually hindering you. They're holding you back from expressing your authentic self or from connecting with others or communicating powerfully. And so when you engage in conversation with somebody and, and you go up to them and say, hey, you know, I noticed that when you showed up late, I really made it mean or I really thought to myself, I'm not worth your time. And I notice that I do that in a lot of situations because most of the time, you know, the meaning that we apply in one place is really something that we take with us all over. So we have kind of a global um, view of it. So it's not I'm not worth it. His time is I'm not worth the time for anyone. And once you've done that with somebody who you trust and somebody who you're well connected to, then, you know, you kind of have given up your game. And they will oftentimes notice when you're doing it more quickly than you will and can support you and kind of snapping you out of it, saying, hey, you know, I know this is what happened, but are you in that story again about not being worth you know, anyone's time or not being good enough. And so you kind of get a colleague and a, a, a partner to to do the battle with you. And, um, and, and, and just in case you're hoping that one day all of your stories, all of your meanings will just poof, go away, well the bad news is they don't. <laughs> and so they don't. <clears throat> you are stuck with them. But what does begin to happen is the frequency with which they kind of rear their ugly head definitely begins to decrease. And when they do show up for you, you begin to develop the skill of recognizing it, acknowledging it, and knowing what steps to go through in order to kind of keep thing- balance things back out again so you don't, you know, spiral down into story and just find yourself at the very bottom where, you know, life sucks and nobody loves me. Right. So, um... So that's the general idea, and with one caveat, okay, and this is a very important piece, that you know, our initial interpretations are often tied into something negative and something that's been reinforced years and years and years, but we still have to be aware in relationships, and we still have to be paying attention to what's actually going on. So if the guy shows up late the first time, And your meaning-making machine goes on, and it says, I'm not worth his time. And you do the steps and say, well, all right, let me just step back a minute. Let me look for other possible explanations. And you're good, and you move through that moment. Awesome. Now, if it's the tenth time that this person has shown up late, we need to get into conversation about that because there actually is real behavior that's happening over and over and over again. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not worth his time. There may be something else going on. But you need to have the conversation and notice that, all right, well, maybe I am not as high on his priority list and let me figure out if that's actually really what's happening. Or maybe there's something else going on. So I hope that makes sense because that is a really important part. I'm not asking you to, just kind of give everybody the benefit of the doubt every single time, no matter what they do. That is, I'm definitely not saying that or giving anyone license for that. It's more a matter of learning to just kind of in the moment, pause, take a second look, and, and really be open to other possibilities until it's really starting to look like there's a repetitive pattern, there's something that's going on that really needs to be addressed. So I wanna walk um, someone through this process. So Abigail, I'm probably gonna use you. Um, okay. So I just want you to kind of imagine or, or bring up to memory um, a moment when you know, something happened um, where you just remember it, it did not feel good. You know, it brought up anxiety or fear or frustration. And just tell me you know, kind of what happened.
3: Okay, hang on, hang on. Let me give you. Let's see. A situation with frustration. Do I have any of those? Let's see. Uh, of course, I have millions of those. Um. Okay. Hard to choose. Well, let's see. It probably would be a situation with a guy. You want me to tell you more?
2: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> tell me the. <laughs> tell me all. Okay. Yeah, tell uh, okay. Me the experience as best you can. Tell me that first part of just kind of the what happened, just the experience.
3: Okay, let's see. Um, Well, um, I can think of a situation, for instance, actually I write about, this is something that kind of clicked off my book even. Um, You know, I was in this relationship with this guy that I thought was the love of my life. I mean, seriously, just wow. Um, You know, perfect. All the things that I always wanted, and I guess he would do these things or say these things that suddenly I just my felt my whole body I just falling into like abandonment cycle. You know, I mean now now I can see it, but at the time it was it was horrible. It was this traumatic feeling of like falling falling down into the the middle of some of some cyclone you know that's all black and awful and I just you know I just felt like I was going to be abandoned I felt like I wasn't loved I felt like he didn't care I felt like like uh yeah like all of that that he didn't care that he didn't really really care despite what he said that it was all just um you know that, that it was suddenly suddenly things had changed so fast and I couldn't understand why what I a-
2: got it so, do you recall, like, a particular um, moment or a particular thing, a very specific moment or thing that he said, where you uh, fell into that?
3: Um, let's see. Well, uh, it would be more, you know, that he would suddenly say he couldn't, he couldn't come next weekend or next weekend he was doing something, you know, that I thought okay. was not very important or something All like right. that. It was. Yeah, usually
2: Okay, Okay, so what happened, the the what happened, the facts of that experience are he said, I can't come this weekend. Right. I'm not able to come. Okay. And then you just told us all of the, the meanings that you came up with, you know, he's abandoning me, he doesn't really care, he's not really in this, I don't really matter to him. So if we were to take a look at what other interpretations you could actually have about what happened, what else might you notice? What else might you see as being possible explanation for why he wasn't able to come?
3: Now, now that I have, you know, shown the light on the situation, shall we say, through all the work with psychosynthesis, I realize that the part of me that would fall into that was that poor little girl, the little child of, of Quite young, different ages, you know. That was always afraid of being abandoned and, and kind of left by the wayside um, by her family, which, in a way, is what happened to me. But uh, at, when I was an adult, you know, I just figured I was an adult now. This wasn't, you know, this doesn't happen anymore. You don't fall into little childish ways in your in your head anymore. I mean, I was I was I was an adult. I was in my 40s. Give me a break, you know. But now I can see that that I did fall into this this you know, the, the little survival personality jumped in with, oh, my God, this is dangerous, this is bad, and, 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 you know, it was just the end of the world. Whereas now I can see that this person needed my, meaning the boyfriend, um, you know, needed, he needed to organize his own life. He had a number of things that he was unsure of. He was nervous about certain aspects of our relationship. I mean, as it kind of came out later, not with him, but somebody else said to me, you know, you're kind of like a racehorse, you know, and I'm used to the donkeys on the beach that plod along, you know. So he was, he was scared. He was scared. Right. There you and go. now I, I can see that. I see that with certain men, you know, that I, I now that I've taken my own power and my own life in hand, I can see that some guys, they're, they're terrified that by that because they like the old pattern of they're in charge and the woman follows, you know, blindly, et cetera. And I don't do that, so I can see that. He was. He had fear. He had his own stuff. He was pulling back in his own way. There were lots of things going on for him that now I can see. He wasn't really lying to me. See, for a long time too, I really felt he's lying to me. He says he loves me, but he doesn't. And now I realize that that's not true. That I was, you know, as you say, making my own, um, you know, my own interpretation, and that was based on, you know, past, past trauma, and. So he was just trying to do the best that he could. Now I also see now, as a little aside, you know, just with all of us here, that this is somebody that even if he came back to me now and said I love you dearly and blah blah blah, I'd say thank you very much. That's lovely. But I mean, I know I can't create a life, uh, create a life with right. him now. So, right. so now I can see that clearly. So it it does take that, you know, spending the time to look deeply at your own programming because. So much of what I'm hearing when you when you teach and you talk to us today about about this is that we're not present and we can't be present because we've got so much stuff going on in our own. That's heads. right.
2: That's yeah, absolutely that's right. I often say thing. that you know you get two people in a room and most of the time it's their stories that are talking and not yeah. themselves. Yeah, And and so it's, I really lo- I appreciate the example that you just um, shared, Abigail, because you hit on a couple of different things. And the first is, you know, looking at what actually might be happening for the other person. You know, he has a life. He has to get things done. He has responsibilities. But then also noticing he has his own stories, too, right, about what it means to come out, what it, what it would represent to come and spend time, and, and all of that stuff. So once you start really tuning in to your own stories, your own meanings, part of the fun is you start to see it in other people. And that becomes really powerful because when somebody responds to you in a way that just seems really off or really odd, you almost start to pause and say, hey, I, I bet they're in a story. <laughs> I That's bet right. they're, you know, make, they're, they're making some meaning about what I just did or what I just said. And so instead of responding in kind with your own stories, you can actually pause and say, hmm, you know, I'm just wondering um, what you think I just said. And that simple question oftentimes will bring somebody's story right up to the top, right? And and you'll be able to address that rather than getting into the loop of just kind of, you know, going back and forth with each other's, well, I think you said, I think you said, I think you said that kind of stuff, where it's not actually getting at the stories, but it's just your fears trying to kind of cover up what's actually going on underneath. So we are, um, we, we've just taken a really clear look at the kind of communication that happens internally. And I've got to tell you, if you really latch on to this concept and start tuning in to your meaning, your stories, the frustrations and upsets that happen in your daily communication with others will go down dramatically. Without any new skills about how you actually talk to other people or what you actually say and do with other people, just by monitoring your own self-talk you will experience more freedom, more power in your relationships. Because, as I said, a lot of times, it's the conversation you're having with yourself about what is happening that causes fear, anxiety, frustration,
0: than what it is the person is actually doing. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit www.rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You don't want to miss next week's episode when we talk about the tools and techniques that you can use to get into clear communication with others. Until then, take good care of you.